Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. Hi, my name is Fred. Uh, I get to work with your middle school and high school students. Been doing that for five years. In two, mo- in two months, it's going to be five years. So that's crazy. Um, it's awesome. Actually, they're meeting right now. If you've got junior high, high school students, they're still here. Go upstairs. <laughs> My wife's speaking. It's a lot better. Um, <laughs> and Carlo. And Carlo. Hey, we got to do well upstairs. Yeah, that's right. We got to do well upstairs and down here better. as well. So um, Zach gets to work with our middle school and high school students also um, focusing on the small groups with the high school guys. So been a lot of fun to get to know him and his family. I don't know if you want to say something about it. But. Yeah, um, my name is Zach, and, and I'm excited to get to open God's Word here today. Um, and, and, and I've had the privilege to work with your kiddos, so uh, we're excited to open God's Word. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'll allow us, I think we're going to stand. That's, right. that's okay. Just because, like, just, it's constrained. I tried to, <laughs> no, 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 don't stand. You guys I mean, oh, we can do <laughs> this, but I mean... Uh, if you're we'll, looking for a leg workout, like do some lunges, keep the blood flowing, you can do that. That's cool. Maybe when we read the word, we'll stand. We can we'll, really, we'll try yeah. it out. We'll try it out. We can New do spiritual that. Pathways. Um, second, <laughs> we're going through the series, right? Know, see, and savor. And we are talking about what it looks like to know God and, and that there is something more to just facts and information, but faith and trust. And we get that from many places in Scripture, but one of those places is Second Peter uh, in chapter 1, and that verse is going to be up on the screen. It begins in verse 3. We're going to read verse 3 and 4, and then we're also going to uh, read Peter's uh, finishing thought there in verse 8. Uh, so if it's up on the screen. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. You and I have everything we need to live the life God has for us through our knowledge of Him. That's why we're doing this. Who called us by His own glory and His goodness. Through these, His glory and His goodness, He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. You may engage and interact with God in a way that's unique to the Christian faith. And that is to keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we want an effective and productive faith, a faith that moves from intellectualism to actual everyday life-ism, where we can be effective and productive in the things we want, in the things we seek, in how God works in our life, in the everyday stuff of life, that we can live a life that God has for us, that God's called us to. And that only comes through knowing who He is. As our maker, He has designed us with a purpose. And so unless we know our maker, we do not know our purpose. If we do not know our purpose, we cannot fulfill it. And so as we begin this morning and throughout the series, this is the heart behind it. We want to know who God is, that we may know how He is with us and working in and through us every single day of our lives. So this morning, 
Uh, we're going to be in two passages, but the first one is Psalm 46, the great psalm. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. If you've got a phone, you can click to it. If you've got a Bible in front of you, you can. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. And if I can, uh, um, just to introduce our, the, the attribute we're going over, I would like to start with a little illustration. So when my wife and I were first dating, uh, one thing we had in common is that both of us, we didn't like pickles. And, uh, and, and so when she got pregnant, though, she started craving pickles. And, and then when, you know, she delivered and things like that, the craving never left. And so today, she still likes pickles. Uh, and she is pregnant again right now, so I'm crossing my fingers. She doesn't like mustard. But, it, I mean, I have to cross my fingers because we're mutable, right? We can change. And, and so we want to look at today that God is unchanging. And, and this attribute is incommunicable. And, and what that means is that um, it's not an attribute that we can communicate because we're changing, right? We can change our preferences and food items and things like that. The, the attributes that we've seen so far uh, in these past weeks, if you've been with us, that God is holy and, we, and we're called to be holy. God is faithful and, and, and we can uh, exhibit faithfulness, sometimes not perfectly, but uh, these are attributes of God that, that we can communicate. But today's attribute is one that God alone, uh, uh, it, it's incommunicable because God alone is unchangeable. And so as we begin there, go with me, uh, open your Bibles or your phone or your iPad or some other device, uh, Psalm 46, the great uh, psalm that inspired Martin Luther to write, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. That's where you begin to see Second Peter lived out in everyday life and where you see the immutability of God playing out in not just a theological or philosophical conversation, but in a very practical sense. Who God is changes how I live. Worship, because this is what this is, the psalm, the worship song begins with, my God is this. I believe my God to be this, therefore my life looks like this. And that's true for you if you're a Christian or not. If you worship, if you count on, if you are uh, banking on your family, as your family goes, your worship will go. If you're banking on your financial security, as your 401k investments go, you will go. And so the psalmist just declares what we know to be true from experience, affirming it through Scripture. My God is, therefore I am. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is something strong within my life. Therefore, my emotions are changed. He is not changing, but now I get to respond to him. And that is where you begin to see immutability come in. Who God is changes how I live. My emotions are not dictated by my circumstances or even by my relationships, but by my God, whom I worship. So if we can't, we're going to go ahead and read uh, Psalm 46, and we'll read the first seven verses. Uh, So 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall and fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in this psalm, you know, we, we see that the psalmist is experiencing lots of change, right? The, the earth trembles. The mountains are in the heart of the sea. Uh, the, the water surge and the nations rage, right? And so there's so much uh, uncertainty here. And, and this is something that we can relate to because we live in a world that's always changing. So the future is always uncertain, whether for better or for worse. Um, we go through trials and challenges, these trials can be just small challenges like, uh, you know, being stuck in traffic and maybe you're going to be late to work uh, or, 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 or maybe larger traffics. Um, a story I, I just heard was, um, so my wife and uh, your wife as well as Fusa and, and a few others went with uh, Janelle, who's one of our new uh, youth leaders, and, and they got to uh, enjoy a dinner with a family who was going through some challenges. They, they uh, lived in Syria um, because of the situation there. They had to flee, and, 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 and they had to flee, and then they moved to the U.S., and they now live uh, here experiencing somewhat poverty, when beforehand they, they had land and livestock and their family was with them, you know, and so these are, those are, those are uh, common stories that we see on the news and in blogs, um, and oftentimes, though, we think, well, those, that's not for us, you know, the, the sad stories about those who battle illness or the loss of loved ones, you know, that's not for us, but, but, but really... If, if we look in this psalm, he, he says, uh, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Uh, what, what it's describing is that th- these are unreliable times. You know, when nobody expects to lose a steady job. That, that's why it's steady. And so, but, but these things can happen because the world is always changing. Um, and, and so in the midst of such change, whether it's minimal or, or, or very extreme, such as fleeing from your home, uh, we have a God who is unchanging, and therefore we have security. And as you see that security, right, that's where you begin to see, again, the effectiveness and the productivity that comes with knowing who your God is. Because the psalmist continues, the waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging, and in contrast, that that is not the focus. Literally, the earth-giving way, Armageddon style, like Independence Day style, is not the focus of the psalm. There's something greater than the focus of, of the world around us. It's this. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. There's something greater than the circumstances around me, and that's God is within her. In that day, much like in our day, water is a source of life. It's a source, and it's a picture of security. And in this psalm, there's a, there's a military undertone there talking about the city, Zion, holding up against the things that are coming against it. And the focus and the idea here is this. I can, look at that, things change. <laughs> That's an old sermon. Uh, things change. Life changes. And I can continue to fight if I've got water. 
I can continue to live if I've got water. We can go weeks without food. Some of us should probably go a little longer without food. We can go without food. We can't go without water. And so the psalmist says, there's a lot of things going on around me, but because I have a river in the midst of the city of God, the midst of the proverbial people of God, we can continue to fight. We can continue to live. Your source can't be political. Sorry to tell you, I don't know if you've watched the news lately. Um, that's been an, a changing, you could say, world lately. If your source is your health, we could probably see this best with older family members, right? They can't walk as long as they used to. They're just not like they used to be. Um, fam- time changes. Chronic illness can even change your character, right? Dealing with, with physical issues doesn't just change your physical a lot of times. It can begin to change your heart. It can begin to change your emotions. So if my source that's within me is physical or political or social or economic, I might not be able to fight because maybe the fight is economic or the fight is physical or maybe the struggle is my family. If, if that's my source, I can't fight. The psalmist says a life that knows who God is is a life that has a source that's different than the world around it. It's a source that never changes. It's God. It's an unchanging God. It's the God of the Bible. We get into Q&A. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. I get to ask Zach all the hard questions. He said not to do it. He's in Bible college, um, so he's very, very smart. No, and that's, the, that's the novice level, guys. Ne- <laughs> negative, negative. He's actually an incredible uh, pitch for him. He leads our small groups in such a wonderful way. Your students are in such good hands, and he is a huge part of that and a huge reason for it. So I get to ask the hard questions, and he gets to answer them. Yeah, it was a bit in switch. They told me that I'll be asking the questions. <laughs> but but our, our hope for this, uh, as, as, as we go through this psalm and this attribute, really is that because we live in a world that's always changing and because, uh, you know, there are uncertainties, whether major or minor, uh, and, and oftentimes those are good changes, but, but we want for our trust to always be in God's unchanging nature. And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper in, into what it means that God is unchanging. Uh, we, we got a couple verses uh, for what uh, Scripture has to say about God's unchanging nature. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And, and then Malachi, uh, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Yeah, so, so, so that, that's where we're headed. We, we are, we are going to go a little bit deeper, right? Is, so... so it, as we talk about God not changing, are, are we talking God never changes 100% of the time? He has been the same always and forever. Kind of like we sang, is that, is that what that means? Can we take that at face value? Yeah, so, so when we say God is unchanging, we, we don't mean that God is unchanging in every sense. And, and uh, there's, there's two types of change. There's intrinsic change, which is essential change, and, and we'll define that a little bit more. And then there's extrinsic change, which is contingent. And then we'll, we'll go a little bit deeper into that as well. Okay. 
So let's, let's get started with then intrinsic, then you said it's essential change. Mm-hmm. What, what so, do you mean by that? So intrinsic change has to do with the essential. So today, today in church, it's uh, um, popular to, you know, to discuss what are the essentials to the Christian faith. You know, there's certain things that, that we can divide over if people like uh, rock music or, or hymns and things like that. We shouldn't divide. We should keep the unity. But there are things that are essential. Uh, one, oftentimes, it's popular today to not uh, put ch- crosses on top of our church buildings or inside because the cross can be a little bit putting off. And, and so you see that happening. But if a church went a step further and took the cross out of the Christian message, they took the cross out of the gospel, they would lose an essential, right? It wouldn't be the Christian faith because the cross is essential uh, to the Christian faith. So, so likewise with God, we know that God is immortal. If God can die, he would cease to be God uh, because essentially he is immortal. Uh, the other attributes that we know that God is all-knowing, that God is uh, all-powerful and, and just and loving, th- these attributes are essential to who God is, so much so that we can say you know, that God is uh, omniscience or omnipotence. He is perfect justice, or as the Bible says in 1 John, God is love because essentially that's who God is and, and, and in that sense he can't change so there's decorative things that can change but who we are in, as an essence of us does not change in terms of the Christian faith and you're saying that's how we can see God mm-hmm. in his changing nature so then what's the other one the other one would be extrinsic change that you mentioned yeah so, so extrinsic change is not real change and one example of that is so today, if I'm taller than one of our youth students, except, except they are actually all taller than me, but <laughs> I work with the guys, and they, we, we did check height, and they're all taller. But, but say the middle schoolers, and, and they go through a growth spurt, and tomorrow they're taller than me, then uh, that would have been an, an extrinsic change. It wouldn't have been real change because uh, I would have gone from taller to smaller, but nothing about me would change. It, it would have been a change outside of me. And so God does not change in that way. He he, he doesn't experience uh, real change. He can experience that sort of intrinsic change. The extrinsic change. Yeah. So what maybe are some ways that God has changed maybe then extrinsically? So, so one of the ways that we see that is, um, you know, it, we, we know that the Bible teaches that we were uh, once dead in our trespasses and sin, and, but then by faith in Christ we've been made alive. And so, you know, God, uh, say, has not always been our Heavenly Father. To, today, for those of us who are in faith, He is, but... But there was a time in which we were not adopted. Um, and, and upon our conversion, upon coming to Christ, we, we've been made uh, a child of God. We've been adopted. And so God's relationship to us has changed uh, when before he was not our Heavenly Father and now he is. Um, and, and, and so that sort of changes uh, how he relates to his objects. It's, it's uh, out, outside of him. Essentially, he's still the same. And essentially, he's still all-knowing. And, and he uh, knew us from eternity past. But... But that sort of change can happen. I get, What's up? Oh, so we can do not, this. Not to lose us, but I guess what we're, what we're hoping for in this is to say, you know, we want to know that God is unchanging so that when we do go through those uncertainties, we know we have an unchanging God. Um, and some of those nuances and details are just to uh, prevent any opposition that would say that God is not unchanging, you know, and give us reason to doubt. Well, because well, I was going to bring up some of those reasons. Uh, you've got Genesis chapter 6 verse 6 it's at the beginning of your Bibles you don't have to turn there but you can write the verse down if you want and look at it later if you're a quick clicker on your phone you can go there Uh, but Genesis chapter 6 verse 6 
says that the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. And he was, and it grieved him. Other, other translations of the Bible might say he was sorry to his heart. And then I've got Exodus chapter 32, verse 14 here, which says the Lord relented from bringing the disaster that he had spoken on his people. So Genesis 6, 6 and Exodus 32, 14, I'm only in the first two books of the Bible, two instances where you say, it seems like God either made a mistake or he didn't know or he changed in some way. Yeah, so, so in passages like that, um, when you read, say, God regretted, for, for God to regret would mean that he didn't know, right? So if we've ever made decisions in our lives and, and we've experienced regret, if we would have known otherwise, then we would have not made that decision, right? And so it almost seems like God didn't know that mankind would uh, be in sin and wickedness, and so, and so he regrets. Uh, but but this, kind of, this sort of language uh, is, is language that's done by the author to make the literary or, or to make the Bible more relatable so that we can understand it. Uh, we, we see it in the Psalms, right? In Psalm 91, verse 4, it says that God uh, comforts us in his wings, right? And so we know that God does not have wings, but we can, we can relate to the idea of comfort. And, and so in this passage where it says God regrets, we, we know what it's like to regret. Um, and so the, the Bible uses terms that we are familiar with so that we can better understand, just so we know how much God does not, uh, how much God um, despises sin, that, that he regrets, but he, but he still is all-knowing. He's, he's unchanging. The, the Bible's just being more relatable to us. Okay. Another one that might come up, and this is all just even from using the, the Bible, is that in the Old Testament, God was angry going through a lot of issues. You could maybe even say, kind of like a junior higher, right? He's just kind of all over the place. God mm -hmm. has weird moments of rage. Um, and he just, he's, a, he's kind of an, he's an angry God. And then Jesus comes along and kind of calms the whole Trinity down. Um, just, you know, everybody kind of takes a little chill pill. They stay off the Red Bull. And... Uh, <laughs> And now God holds little children. God loves all the little children of the world. If you turn the other cheek, God's evolved. Our God is now better than he was in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and oftentimes, that's, uh, it, oftentimes that's the kind of issues that we face, right, with uh, coworkers or anyone that's um, done some reading of the Bible. They will, they will assert that the Old Testament God is angry and harsh. And then in the New Testament, though, he's soft and gentle. Uh, last week, if, if, you, if you're here with us last week, Pastor Gary uh, taught on the sternness and the kindness of God. And, and, and that was coming out of Romans in the New Testament, right? The, the, the sternness and the kindness of God. And, and what we saw is that throughout Scripture, God has always been the same, right? He's always been kind and stern. In the Old Testament, we read uh, the, the main passage last week that Yahweh is the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And so we see that God is kind towards us, right? That he's loving, um, forgiving. And, and, yet, and then it says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation. And, and so we, we also see that God is not willing to let sin go unpunished. 
and, and there was three points noted that if God, was, if God were not just, then that would mean that he either delights in sin, and, 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 we, and we think of all the, the heinous acts that occur in our world, uh, to think that God would delight in that, or, or, or maybe God's not bothered by that, or God's just not able to do anything about it. Uh, and, and so God is just, and, and that's uh, something that we should praise him for, right? That he's both good and, and, and loving and forgiving and just. I, I think uh, if, we, if we look to the cross, we see essentially who God is in, in every page of the paper. I, at the cross, you see that God is just. He, he pours out the wrath uh, against sin on his son, and, and that out of love, because through that, uh, God is gracious and offers us forgiveness, and, and, and that, that forgiveness goes out to all of us, and, and God has not changed. That forgiveness is still available to everyone, and so on the cross, we see essentially uh, who God is, that he's abounding in love, that he's good and gracious, and, and yet not willing to let sin go unpunished, and, and so God, we see, is the same throughout scripture. That's good news, right? That is very good news, that God's not evolving, so we're going to have a better God in a couple of years, that we're going to have a different faith in a few years. And what we want as we are finishing up our time with you this morning in the Word is we want to look at what a life that focuses on an unchanging God looks like. So if you would with me in your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And as you're going there, I'll share a couple of quotes with you that might hopefully stir up your, your emotions and your mind a bit. C.S. Lewis says, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different. There's also another one that says, uh, just when I get started learning how to live, life changes. And JFK had uh, a great quote, and it began by saying that change is the law of life. And his was a positive sense that you cannot look to the past and you should not focus on the present, but always be focusing on the future for bettering yourself. Because if you only focus on the now and you don't acknowledge and receive and appreciate change, you'll fall behind. That might be true, but that's depressing. And so we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 what a Psalm 46 worshipful life looks like. And we see that through the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. We, none of us know when that time will come, but there will be a moment when our entire life is in the rearview mirror. And not in the front windshield. You know what I'm talking about? There's going to come a time. For some of us, it might be closer than others. Some of us might be more aware of it than others. Where our life is going to be in the rearview mirror. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm at that point. And he makes an incredible self-assessment. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those, all those who have longed for his appearing. Yeah. He says, mission accomplished. I was effective. I was productive. My buddy Peter, yeah. He told me about that. And I lived a life that was effective and was productive. I did it. 
God had a path for me. God had a life for me. And I lived it the way he wanted me to. And that's what we quote. And then there's a bunch of names and stuff like that. And we usually just kind of say we finished the book. And we close our Bible and that's our daily reading. It's kind of like a day off. And we just move on. But let's not, I, I want not to miss what Paul has in the midst of that thought as he begins that. And he says, okay, my life's in the rearview mirror. Mission accomplished. I did it. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. That's a scary thought. You two should be on guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. People change and they forget to tell each other. And that's like a huge part of relational issues, right? I've changed. I just forgot to send out the memo. Think about your first best friend. And when the last time it is that you talked to them was, what happened? Was there some big falling out? Or did you just kind of, all of a sudden, wow, I haven't talked to him in months. I haven't talked to her in years. That's weird. I didn't make that decision. I guess life happened. What did you want to be when you grew up? I don't mean like the high school senior, like trying to figure out how you're going to make money, you. I mean like the full of wonder and imagination and possibilities are endless you. And what happened? Did you realize it's too much work? Did you realize it was going to take too long? Did you realize that it wasn't worth the effort? Did you realize you were not going to make that much money? And you picked something more sensible. What, what happened? Kate and I get told all the time, just wait till you have kids. Zach's getting told, just wait till you have two. Some of you are telling our growth group that has a million kids, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, just wait till they get older. And, and some of you say, just wait till they move out. Some of you say, just wait till they move back in. Some of you say, <laughs> some of you say, wait till you retire. Some of you say, wait till retirement's no longer that fun because you can't really do that much because of physical ailment. There's always a just wait. Life will get you. Don't, don't worry about it. People will fail you. Your body will decay. Your circumstances will change. Just wait. And Paul kind of looks around and goes, yeah, yeah, life's happened to me. People have left me. Military town, right? People have moved away. Friends have moved away. People oppose him. And it's really interesting. He brings up Mark. If you wanted to read it, Acts chapter 13 through 15, I think, is where the story is. Mark is a racist, lazy wimp of a ministry worker, essentially. And Paul says, I don't want him around anymore. You're, you're useless. And now Paul is saying he's helpful. How many of us have ever made a judgment too quickly? particularly about a person that's close to us. And Paul says, I, I wonder if Paul says, it's not in the text, but I, I wonder if he just wants to say, I'm sorry. 
I was wrong. Or I'm really glad you changed. You see a church split happen with Paul and Barnabas over this guy. And now Paul's at the end of his life going, I want him here. That's big. I want two guys, Timothy and Mark, the guy I thought was useless to me. People change, sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. Florida Georgia Line, great theologians, um, right? There's a song, and it says, uh, my, love's not, my love is never going to run dry. It's never going to come up empty. Now until the day I die, unconditionally, you know I'm always going to be here for you. We love to hear that coming from someone. Why? Because that says, I can count on them. I love what Paul says. He continues on. He says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The people around me are leaving me. I was at the top of my class. I graduated from the top of my class. My family is of high status, and I'm sitting alone in the jail. Life has not gone the way I thought it would. The Lord stood by me and gave me strength. Wow. And, and that's what allows him to say something that we may have missed in the, in the sentence right before that. He says, at my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. It's not their fault. That's fine. Not, it doesn't hurt. Not, it, I feel it, but you know what? I'm not counting on that. Kate and I were coming down from Julian. Somebody was driving in front of us, probably going 20 in a 50 zone. I mean, you see how quickly people's character changes. When someone's going 20 in a 50 and I've got an all-wheel drive, I mean, like, I am, like, ready to have the best time of my life going down this mountain. And this fool is, like, in front of me, and he's just, and and Kate's like, really? All, like, she said that, really, you're going to let this change our weekend? It was like, yes, (laughs) I am, because it's terrible. And then, well, and I'll share this, and I asked for permission during first service, so, um, Kate and I were blessed to buy a home in December, and then we were blessed to have her car have six cracks in the engine in January, and then we were blessed to get a notification right from the IRS in April uh, that they wanted all the money they gave me in college back. Um, So that security number that we've always had, because we've got stable jobs, is no longer there. And so one Sunday, after I'm sure worshiping, holding hands, and doing the whole deal. Well, Kate, if you didn't want the house, we wouldn't be in this plot. I mean, it's really, it's your fault. You, you wanted this house. She's like, well, you wanted to go to Arizona and you wanted to, in your department, had a race and we had to go to Vegas and you like to go out to eat all the time. <laughs> well, you like the Cleveland Indians and we went to spring training and we spent a bunch of money there. No one likes the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is, I'm going to do it. I'm a Raiders fan. We win games now. It's been a long time coming. (laughs) We're making up for lost years. And um, it's your fault. It's definitely not mine. We've made decisions. Life has happened to us. And it's not my fault. It's yours. And Paul says, he looks at all his life. He looks, I'm alone in jail. Everybody's left me. People oppose me. And he says, may it not be held against them. You can't do that in your relationships unless the Lord 
that is unchanging is your source of strength. You can't say, you know what, it hurts, but it doesn't change what I'm standing on. Because if that is happening and you were depending on your family and now your family is your source of struggle, well, what's going to happen now? That's what happened after the economic crash of 2008. There was high-profile suicides happening all over the world because billionaires were losing everything and they were in despair because their source of strength was gone. Your source of strength doesn't have to be gone. And Paul finishes with this. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. We sang a truth that we can't claim. We believe God will move mountains. We've seen him do it. We will see him do it again. But what happens if he doesn't? What happens when he doesn't? If your source of strength is a relationship with God or a Christianity that says, God's unchanging, so fix my circumstances, you will not have a source of strength. If your source of strength is a God who is unchanging, so even if your circumstances do not move, even if your circumstances do not change, then you can say how Paul finishes. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. A worshipful Psalm 46 life that says, my God is my refuge, I will not fear. It's when it says, he will move the mountains. And when they don't, to him be the glory. I will count and I will love on people. And even when they fail me, to him be the glory forever and ever. Because as Zach was teaching us, God doesn't change. Who he is in essence will never change. Good news? Good news. Go ahead and stand with us as we continue to worship. And, and you know, and whether, uh, you know, you may go through hard times or, or, or just the minimal trials, you know, and, and, and because the world around us can change and we can't face uncertainties, it's a good reminder. In Psalm 46, verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the earth. I will be exalted in the earth. So just to let God be that unchanging source. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you that we can gather here on Sunday, uh, open your word, that we can uh, ponder and, and want to know you deeper, to know, see, and savor who you are, that we would experience you and, uh, and put our trust in you. And we have hope and that you would just uh, bless the rest of this day. We give you glory and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.